Good morning, everybody. My name is Amanda. Welcome to New Valley. If you're visiting with us this morning and you're ready to let us know that you're here, I invite you to grab one of the Connect to New Valley cards in the seat in front of you and fill that out. We'll add you to our weekly email list, and then you can also ask for information on any ministries that you may be interested in. technology and um, much effort by John Griffith. We have Brent and Christina Heisler with us here from, yeah, good to see you guys. Yeah, so they're serving in the Middle East. Um, I was saying in the first service, uh, Christina will probably tell you exactly where if you keep her on long enough here. And um, we have, But they're serving there and we just wanted, to, yeah, so it's so great to see you guys. We want to say, um, can you see anyone? So the camera's back there so they can only see me, but if you turn around and you go like this, we'll be able to say hi to them. But um, let's see. Do you guys have any? How are you doing? And do you have? Uh, how have you been encouraged recently? Sorry, this went perfectly in the first service, I promise you. It was amazing. So, go ahead. I think. I
amazing. Are there any um, other ch uh, challenges that you guys have had recently? Yeah, we keep muting out all the swear words. That's what's going on there. So, um, just kidding. Uh, now, so one last thing before before we uh, before you go, and thanks again for staying up so late uh, where you are there. But um, can you tell us? Uh, give us. Do you have any words of encouragement, sort of, for the New Valley community here? Thanks so much. We're we'll be praying for you. Scott's going to come up and you know kind of wrap this thing up. But it's so great to see you, and uh, they'll be back this summer, so we'll be able to say, yeah, everyone, wave back to them back there. Hey, uh, would you stick stick with us and let us uh, pray for you? Yeah. All right. So, Brent and Christina have been a part of New Valley for some time. They're they're members of this church. Uh, they are counted as best friends among several people at New Valley. Just love and adore them. Just seeing their faces brings tears because we love them so much. But uh, I, I, let's just receive their word of challenge to us today. That uh, just whenever we spend time with them and they're here in the summer, we just want to hold on to them and say, don't go back. Like we're always like, this is so great. We love having you here. Your kids are amazing. And each year they say, we have faith for one more year, faith for one more, for one, one more year. And so. We just keep entrusting them to the Lord, and, and please pray for them. Please, uh, they are members of this church, vital parts of this church, and, and even though we're separated by many miles, we're just so thankful for them. And we love all of our missionaries, but they're, they're very special to our hearts uh, as they are a part of us. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the Heislers, and we just beg you, God, to be with them and strengthen them um, and encourage their hearts. We pray for these friendships, that they would go deeper, even in a transient area. We give you thanks for this person of peace and pray for steadfastness for him. 
and safety and much fruit. Um, just be with them, strengthen them, and we are thankful that the gospel is true and that there will be much reward uh, for them, that, that you can't outgive Jesus, so we thank you for that. Help us to just be an encouragement to them as well in some tangible way. We love them so much. In Jesus' good name, amen. See you guys soon. So uh, we're in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, And if you've got a Bible, would you please turn with me there? And we're going to be looking at that together. Um, I'm going to read it right now. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, If you were here last week, chances are good that you walked away feeling severely uh, confronted and uh, challenged, right? And I wish I could tell you that today was going to be easier, but it's not. In fact, I think James may amplify it and turn it up even more, the challenge. So let's turn and hear what he would have to say to us. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, um, the man who was the church leader in the Jerusalem church uh, in the early days after the resurrection in the early church. And Brother James says this to his context, but also to us, because we believe this is God's word, uh, his full and final word to us. So we receive this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, and, <clears throat> and you say to the poor man, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God for his word, and thanks be to God that mercy triumphs over judgment, because if that were not the case, none of us would have any hope today. And as you turn to James, he's continuing the point he brought up in chapter 1, verse 22. As we turn to James chapter 2, actually, 
And if you look at my Bible, for example, it's interesting, right? So like, this is my, my Bible that I use. This is one of the Bibles that I preach from because it's larger and I can see the words better. And it, it's got things in the middle, right, that tell me about different verses and references I can, I can turn to. It's got notes. It's got, uh, you know, like themes and headings and so forth. And it's got chapters. Now, what's interesting is when James wrote this letter, he didn't write in all those uh, notations. He didn't put in verses. He didn't put in chapters. All that is for us to be able to reference to one another. So when I'm reading a book, a, a novel, for example, and I turn to chapter two opposed to chapter one, I kind of expect there's a shift, right? That we're heading in a new direction. There's a new idea. There's a new event that's about to unfold. But oftentimes in the Bible, that's not necessarily true. And that's the case in James chapter two. In fact, what he's doing is he's just continuing in his letter talking about the implications of what he brought up in chapter 1, verse 22. So let's go back to chapter 1, verse 22, where James says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. The word of God is our full and final authority as believers. Uh, for James, when he's talking about the word, he's talking about the Old Testament, interestingly, right? That they were writing the New Testament. So he's talking about the Old Testament. For us, we receive the Old and the New Testament as the scriptures, as God's final authority to us. There is no greater authority for the church than the word of God. We love traditions, we love church history and that kind of thing, and there's a lot of wisdom in, in, in receiving those and thinking about those, but they're not our authority. We rest upon the Word of God, and Christ is the head of the church. So Jesus has given us His Word, it's our authority, and, and He's saying, look, we have to hear the Word, we have to receive the Word, we should study the Word, we should meditate on the Word, we should memorize the Word, we should encourage each other with God's Word, Old and New Testament alike, and, though, we should do the word. That we're saved by grace through faith alone, but by a grace that never leaves us alone, right where we were as we started. God is always changing us and moving us and growing us more and more into his image. And last week, James has already told us, as we meditate on the word and seek to apply it, that we have to be hearers and doers of the word as it relates to things like being quick to listen and slow to speak. Be in a hurry to listen to others, like run towards other people to listen, but be slow when it comes to speak and be slow, he says, to anger, right? He warns us to be doers of the word and not to be deceived, to remain unstained from the world. He talks about taking off uh, rampant unrighteousness. So he, this idea was like, imagine you've been out playing uh, football in the mud and you come into your house and mom says, take off that, those nasty clothes you've got on in the mud and the dirt and stuff. So we're to take off rampant unrighteousness, he says, in light of the gospel. These are things that we have to act on to be doing. And then finally, quick to speak, slow to anger. No, no, the other way around, right? Uh, quick to listen, slow to speak. I, I'm so bad at it, I can't even keep it straight. Take off rampant wickedness, and if it weren't all hard enough already, he says that real religion is this, to care for widows and orphans in their distress, 
the people that are the most vulnerable in society. Love them as much as you love yourself. Don't just visit with them, like care for them, love them, meet their needs. And then today, James says, you have to confront the problem that you have of partiality, of favoritism. Believers in Jesus Christ, you, you have to get real on a very important thing. And it, it may seem like trivial almost because it's so difficult and nearly so impossible. We're going to say, I just want to say, but James, we all do this so much. How can we not possibly do this thing of favoritism and partiality? And James says, look, if you want to keep the royal law, and we must, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your neighbors yourself, you've got to confront this reality of partiality. So we're going to look at the first thing. First of all, is the problem that we have of partiality. In verse chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no partiality as you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, James only mentions Jesus in this letter two times explicitly. He's talking about Jesus, obviously, all the time, but only twice explicitly. And this time he calls him the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It's his title, Messiah. Jesus was his first name, his given name. And it's Yahshua from, from the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And that reminds me of all the times that David ascribed uh, the Lord of glory, the King of glory to the Father. And so what James is saying, and think about this, this is literally his half-brother he's talking about. Like, he grew up in the same home with Jesus, and he's calling him, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, and he's the Lord of glory. That even though he came in humility and was my half-brother and grew up in my house and did carpentry work just like I did, and he emptied himself becoming a servant, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but he died for your sins in humility... In shame, he hung on a cross completely naked and, and full of shame, the shame of sin and humility. He did all of that, but on the third day, he rose from the dead victorious, gloriously. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he will come again, James is saying, as the glorious Lord of glory. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, he says, and he is the Lord of glory. And he says, as you hold faith in this one who is so glorious, you can't also simultaneously hold on to favoritism and partiality on the one hand and disdaining others. It's too much glory to be giving people. And this word partiality in the original language, it's interesting. It's an interesting construct. It means to receive the face or to receive somebody according to, to their face. So if we were in a small group, I'd ask the obvious question, what do you think that means, right? To receive someone by the face. And it should be relatively obvious what he's getting at. It's that we receive people according to their physical appearance, and we all do. We're so impressed with the way people handle themselves, the way they look, the way they speak, the way they dress, whether they seem wealthy, whether they seem uh, smart enough, all that we receive people according to their face, and we give them partiality. We're open to some people, and we're closed off to other people according 
for their faith. And James is saying, be very, very careful about this. And then if you're not careful, what you do is you're setting yourself up as an evil judge, he says. And you're showing partiality and you're making divisions among one another. We show favoritism and partiality when we judge people either positively or negatively according to their appearance. And partiality just doesn't even seem like that big of a problem if you think about it because favoritism and partiality is not treating something somebody poorly necessarily. It's just treating, you could be treating somebody neutrally here but giving preference to another person. And James says, be careful. But even worse, what he's saying is, you're not only giving favoritism to the rich, you're disdaining the poor. And there's great, great warning here. We show partiality and we discriminate on the base of people's natural beauty. In our day and age, how much do we do this? People are famous today for being famous, right? Just because they look good and have pictures of themselves on a social media platform, people are making money just by looking good. We receive them according to the faith. How do we untangle all of this in this culture? It seems impossible, but James says, You've got to. We show partiality on the basis of beauty, of how people look, whether they're strong or fit. We show uh, partiality and discriminate on the basis of how hip people are, or how cool they are, whether they're in the same socioeconomic background as we are. We show partiality or discriminate on the basis of whether people are in shape or out of shape, whether they're stylish and have good clothes or not. And we show partiality and and demonstrate such sinfulness when we do when we discriminate on the basis of skin color or background or ethnicity and i want you to stop and just think about this for just a minute what we christians believe is that god created all things out of nothing and uniquely created humanity in god's image when he made people he declared them utterly good and 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 that we reflect his image and glory we are broken and we are fallen and yet every person uniquely has God's image. They are image bearers. And when we reject someone on the basis of skin color, I just want you to stop and think how ridiculous that is in light of the gospel. It makes no sense. And we're tempted sometimes, and lately I think we've been less tempted because of what's been going on in our culture, but we're tempted at times to think things like racism have died down, and, and, and like discrimination and that kind of thing, we're, we're past that, we're moving on. Friends, we've not, you know it. Just a couple weeks ago, some of my closest friends in the valley that pastor Roosevelt Community Church, Pastor Vermont Pierre is one of the best pastors in this valley. He is, he is a black pastor. His wife is Hispanic. And somebody wrote and painted on their door the N-word. They live near downtown Phoenix. They serve this city like nobody. They help the poorest of the poor. And and they applaud white churches and wealthy churches. And she is the president of the Surge Network and works with leaders all over the city to bless the city. Doesn't matter what background, ethnicity. No one works harder to bring love and unity and peace and shalom to this city like Vermont and Danae Pierre and some evil wicked person filled with rampant unrighteousness wrote that word on their door. Can you imagine? And so for a Christian to even entertain 
an attitude of discrimination of another human being by their ethnicity, their background, or their race is appalling. And friends, you cannot hold that in your hands and say, I follow Jesus. Do you know what James would say to you? He would say, your religion is worthless. It's worthless. If you think you can hold those two things together. We have to repent of our discrimination. We have to repent of the ways in which we receive people by the face, their appearance, and also try to hold on to the Lord of glory. James gives us a specific example. There's some public assembly. I think he has the synagogue in mind, right? It's church. It's packed. And, And there's only a few seats left. And one person walks in wearing a gold ring. And that was a sign that they're a member of the equestrian class of the Roman Empire. They, they had enough money to be of equestrian class, right? So that meant you had horses probably and could ride to town on your horse and that kind of thing. So somebody very, very wealthy. In contrast, James says a poor man comes wearing shabby clothes. And that's the same word that he uses for filthy in chapter 1, as in take off the filthiness of the world. So the poor man that comes in to this assembly, the church service, he's not just plainly dressed or badly dressed or out of style. He's poor, extremely poor. He's shabby. He probably smells bad. He's probably homeless. So our greeters here every week are, do a great job of welcoming people in. There's these, these parking spaces out here for newcomers. If you're new, I hope you found one of those spots. And let's just say some young man, a rich young man drives up in a Maserati, and if all of a sudden it's, it's crowded in here today, and we say like, oh, we have a perfect seat for you over here, sir, you know, you're equestrian class, you know, welcome, welcome, I don't know, like, what would be the seat of honor here, probably next to Chris, but like, right here, have a seat, please, kind sir, in equestrian class, just for you, but the, the homeless guy, and there's plenty around here, decides to come to church today, and we say, oh, you know what, uh, you know, our, we're not a homeless shelter. Is there anything we can do for you? Like, why don't you stand over there? We'll talk to you after church. Or why don't you sit here at my feet and bow down? That's what James says. And there's wickedness here, James says, because you're setting yourself up as an evil judge. James 1, James chapter 2, verse 1. Brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the Lord of glory. The word glory in Hebrew means weightiness or heaviness. And glory is one of these words that's very difficult to actually unpack. We've talked about this before. It's very hard to define exactly what it means, like the word holiness is similar. But we know this about glory. It means heavy, and it means weighty. And he says, don't hold faith with, with favoritism. You can't hold faith in Jesus, the Lord of glory, with favoritism. And the reason is, the Lord of glory is too weighty and glorious and heavy for you to both hold favoritism and and, and partiality on the one hand and him in the other. He's too heavy. He's too glorious. So you've wondered why I've had this really heavy 70-pound kettlebell here today. I'm going to show you as an illustration that it's really dense and heavy. It's 70 pounds. And I won't be able to do this very long. I'm having to use my core strength to hold it. I want you to imagine this is the weight of glory of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, you carry the weight of glory with you all day, every day. Do you not? And he's heavy. His glory is weighty. 
you can't hold on to this in something else. If you tried to say, give me a child to hold on or anything else, I couldn't do it. And for a second, I can hold it with one arm, but I, I promise you, it wouldn't be for very long. I need two hands. Jesus is the Lord of glory. I got to put this down. <laughs> He's the Lord of glory. And we think we can hold the Lord of glory and also carry in our hand favoritism and partiality and discrimination. And James is saying, it just doesn't make sense. You can't. He's too weighty. He's too good. He's too glorious. You can't hold the Lord of glory and hold on to favoritism. I'm out of breath. <laughs> As Jesus is exalted in your heart, people take their proper place. As your, your focus in your life becomes more on the glory of Christ, people get in line. We don't think too much of the rich, and we don't think too little of the poor. Amen? When you're caught up with how good Jesus is, you don't think too much of rich and beautiful people. They don't, they don't compare to the weight of glory. And you don't think too little of the poor, because he's so good and God loves the poor. They get in their right place. This includes the financially poor. It also includes the poor in personality, the dull, the complaining, those who are poor in mind, the uneducated, those who are poor in physical appearance. James then tells us why we should not disdain the poor. He says in verse 5, listen, brothers, has not God chosen, excuse me, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. He's asking a rhetorical question. Has not God chosen the poor for his kingdom and, and that the poor are rich in faith and, and so forth and, and love him? And, and he wants us to say, yes. Yes, that's true. And Dan Doriani is a commentator I've been reading along this series. And he says, when James says that God has chosen the poor in the world... He means those who are physically and financially poor, not just those who are poor in spirit. So and before you go down the track and say, well, Jesus said poor in spirit. He means the physically and financially poor. Read it in context. You can tell what he's saying. He's talking. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Yes. The answer is yes. Jesus said in Matthew 19 something very difficult for us to hear. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The Bible doesn't teach that the poor are saved by their poverty, and the Bible doesn't teach that the rich are condemned by their wealth. And salvation is found in faith in Jesus and in him alone. That's where salvation is. So it's not in riches or poverty by which you're saved or damned. But what Jesus is saying is it's difficult for the wealthy and for the rich to receive me and to look to me as Messiah and walk with me because they have all of their needs met. And Jesus only came for the sick, you remember, and those who are willing to admit their poverty, their spiritual and, and, and spiritual and moral poverty, that they need him desperately. And so it's difficult for those of us who are rich to enter into the kingdom of God because we have everything. And before you go on too long, I just want to say to this, you're rich. <laughs> 
Some of you are really rich, and some of you are just rich. But just living in this culture, you're rich. Even poor people among us are rich in comparison. I want you to think about, on <laughs> the wealthiest person in James' day didn't enjoy the comforts that we're enjoying every single day. The wealthiest person in James' day did not enjoy central air. Thank God for central air conditioning. The, the wealthiest person in James' day did not have heat in his house. The wealthiest person could not zap food in a box and have it warmed up 45 seconds later. A minute later, that hot dog's destroyed. Like in 30 seconds, it's about right. <laughs> it's been a while. That's exactly right. They didn't have that. They didn't have these conveniences. They didn't have cars. They had equestrian class, but we have just even a Civic is amazing if you think about it. We fly on airplanes, for goodness sakes. We, we can travel the world in a matter of half a day. And so be careful to not say, nah, I'm not rich. If God's word says, friends, that the poor are rich in faith and enter the king easily, we should never disdain them. And this is what James is warning us about. Next, he tells us why we should not favor the rich. In verses 6 through 7, but you've dishonored the poor man, and are not the rich the ones that oppress you and the ones that drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you're called? Israel is a small region geographically. It's densely populated. And a few wealthy landowners were gobbling up the land, and the poor were being pushed out to the extremes. They were losing their own land. They were not able to farm the land, and they were being pushed out. The rich also were dragging them into court and treating them unjustly and James is saying why are you preferring them why are you giving them preference they're the ones taking you to court they're the ones that are treating you unjustly not all wealthy people are corrupt we know that and not all poor people are righteous they are there are wealthy people who work hard to bless the poor and serve God and love their neighbor and there are poor people who steal and are utterly corrupted but James keeps telling us there is this warning to the wealthy, and I would say, New Valley, consider yourself wealthy and live in light of these warnings. Throughout God's word, there's a continual theme of warning to the rich, blessings for the poor, and we're foolish to show favoritism to the wealthy and disdain the poor people. And if that wasn't enough, now James talks about the coming judgment. Verses 8 through 10 and then verse 13. James says this, if you really fulfill, and I love that he says really, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, what is that law, James? Well, it's this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you really fulfill that, you're doing well, but if you show partiality, but if you show partiality, but if you show partiality, and raise your right hand if you show partiality, Okay, this is what James says. You're committing a sin and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor and if whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point, you've broken all of it. So by admitting that, I'm a lawbreaker. I, I show partiality. I receive people according to the faith and I do and you do too. And by doing so, I'm admitting I've broken the whole law. The royal law is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. And when I don't love my neighbor, like, let's, let's, this is the point. It's not to show favoritism or to disdain. It's to love. 
To love God does not mean that I oppose the wealthy. No, I love the wealthy and I love the poor. The answer is love. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And James says that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And he calls this word the royal law, which is summarized, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, I want you to speak and act as people who will be judged by that law. The law of liberty. James is pointing us to keep in view the end of days when Jesus, the glorious Lord of lords, will return to judge the living and the dead and the thing that we'll be judged according to with our words, terrifying, and our actions is loving our neighbor and loving our God. And then he says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Sounds a lot like his brother Jesus. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank God for his mercy. See, what James is trying to do is to take me to the foot of the cross where I quit trying to say, oh, I'm good enough and I don't need God's mercy and I'm, I'm actually a good person. If you check me out compared to everybody else, I'm actually really good because James says, no, if you show partiality or a transgressor and if you've broken that part of the law, you have broken God's royal law and you depend upon mercy before God. Thank God for his mercy. Last weekend so starting thursday of last week and then through saturday becky and i got to um, visit in mexico and went with dr and mrs patrasahan chris and maya um, where we served at a, a dental clinic where our good friends the stavroses started in rocky point in puerto penasco how many of you have ever been to puerto penasco you've been been down to mexico We're, we got a team going down next week as uh as well to to build houses this coming weekend and what's interesting is, as you drive to the border to go to Rocky Point, you have to go through two towns, right? You go through Ajo first, and then Y. And whenever I'm going through Ajo, I have certain experiences and things. And whenever I go through Y, I say to myself, why? Like, you know, why is this place even here? You know, people in this first service laugh a little bit more at my jokes, and <laughs> I like them better. I show preference to them. So when I go to Ajo, when I'm driving down to Mexico, when I get to Ajo, as I look around at the houses and the streets and the, and the, the way landscaping is and just the whole view, I kind of go like, I feel like I'm already in Mexico. Like this place feels like Mexico. It's kind of run down. It looks like Mexico, feels like Mexico. But when I leave Mexico and I'm coming back to the United States and I go through Ajo, I'm like, oh, I could live here. Like, uh, you know, welcome back to the United States. Ajo is awesome. Because when you get to... Puerto Penasco, there are areas that feel really at home to us. There's the resorts and the areas of town that people have created for us, the Americans, that we can come with our affluence and we can have an amazing beach vacation. And that's a good thing for the economy down there and it, it blesses the poor. So it's not all bad. But the thing is, if you go off from the resorts at all, even to downtown, which is also created for you and your entertainment and your luxury, but just even driving on the side streets, you see poverty quite a bit. And if you're bold enough to go into actual Rocky Point, like to the grocery store, to various places where people live, and if you go into the real barrios and the places where, where people really live, what you see is extreme poverty. 
And what you smell in the air is a mixture of human excrement on the one hand and charcoal fire on the other and burning tires. It's just what you smell in the air throughout. And you may even see a decent house. You're like, oh, that one's actually pretty nice. That's a pretty nice house. But it's only in comparison to the fact that right next door to them, somebody's living in a cardboard box. And I'm not even kidding. Or like a bunch of fence wire and stuff that's just laid together and maybe some boards. And we go, oh, that's a pretty nice house. But the reality is you wouldn't let your dog live in it in Tempe or Scottsdale. You just wouldn't. And so we were there, and we were serving, uh, and it's kind of funny because it was a dental clinic at this um, medical clinic that our friends have, have helped create, and it's absolutely amazing. This is a, in this barrio, in this difficult place, there's this beautiful building, and, and all these different buildings, it's just a light, like a city on the hill, where people can come for free de- dental care, uh, Young Life is hosted out of there, there's medical care, uh, they're building uh, barracks that we hope to help them build so that people can come in and spend the week and serve and that kind of thing. It's just, it's the city on the hill in the middle of this very impoverished neighborhood. And we were offering free dental care. And Dr. Chris had me <laughs> dress up in scrubs, I guess, so I would look semi-professional. I think like this guy's, you know, he really knows what he's doing. But what's funny about it is I was there to um, clean the instruments and sterilize them. That's, that's all I did was clean and sterilize the instruments. But I you know that I don't know what I'm doing, right? So that would only take me 15, 20 minutes. I'd set it up. I would have about a half an hour before they'd sterilize. So I would walk around the compound, but there's all these patients waiting to be seen, right? And so I would walk around the compound in my scrubs, and all these poor folks were looking at me going like, get back in there and like work on people's teeth. You're a dentist, for goodness sake, you know? And I, I'm just walking around going, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And I, I don't speak Spanish, so it's like, no dentisto, um, <laughs> Now, these patients, they signed up, and they had like a, it was scheduled, right? But like, it it took time for the doctors that first day to, because we're trying to figure out, where's this equipment? Where's this? I need this. And they're trying to get organized. So we got a couple hours behind, and we start seeing patients. And the thing about those patients is they were really patient, okay? They waited for hours, some of them, to be seen. And almost everyone was in huge need. They don't get to see a dentist. And so when they would see the dentist, almost everyone had a cavity, a couple extractions needed to take place, and, and there was just a lot of work that had to be done. And so these people were waiting and waiting and waiting, and they were so patient. But wouldn't it have been weird if they weren't? I mean, if they, it would be really strange if they were like, where, where, I signed up for 2.30 and it's now 5 and I haven't been seen. You would say to them, what? Hey, you're, <laughs> you're not paying for this. This is all mercy, right? Dr. Chris and Dr. Martin, they're here serving you out of mercy and kindness. This team of people is here to serve you. This whole clinic exists because of mercy. It would be really weird if they acted entitled, saying, give me this, I, you know. But we act entitled. If there's one word that I think describes many of us in our culture, it's entitled. And that word entitled, it kind of like has the idea of royalty, like Baron Von Braun, you know, and I go into a restaurant and I feel entitled, like I deserve a certain level of service. And, you know, we act like we're so entitled. But it doesn't make sense that we are the recipients of such mercy. We hold the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and his weight and his glory. It doesn't make sense that we would show partiality to some people and discriminate 
against others. It doesn't make sense for us to live in such an entitled manner to live that way. It makes no sense in light of how much mercy we've been given. Jesus set his love on me when I was not spiritually lovely. Quite the opposite. Jesus did not set his heart and his love on you when you were spiritually wealthy. You had nothing. You were utterly and completely spiritually impoverished, deserving nothing except his judgment. And instead of getting his judgment, you received his mercy and his love and his forgiveness and his welcoming arms. He's adopted you into his family and you're now co-heirs with Christ. You deserve nothing and you've been given everything. And so how weird is it and incongruent for us to live as entitled people who live on the basis of receiving others by the faith. It just doesn't make sense. We're called to be here.